So grace evangelism, um, it's typically a small group. And I think the, the main reason it's a small group is because whenever you talk about evangelism, people immediately think, I got to be careful not to get trained in evangelism, because if I do, they're going to send me door to door around the neighborhood and go make me share the gospel with people. And people like Will might say, well, that sounds like a great idea to me. Uh, for me personally, that is the most terrifying thing I can think of, probably. Like door-to-door -door evangelism is just really frightening to me. Uh, but what we'll talk about is um, a lot of different things. But, um, you know, over the years, you might have been exposed to several different types of quote-unquote systems, you know, whether it was discipleship evangelism or grace evangelism or the Romans road. Anything else come to mind that you've heard or seen before? Like there's just lots of systems out there, right? Evangelism explosion. Yeah, evan there you go. Evangelism explosion. Lots of things, lots of systems. But of course we know that evangelism is is not a system. And, and this really is a class that everybody in GBC needs to take. Not because of the evangelism. The main reason why we need to take this class and what keeps me just so excited about this class is the focus of the Christian life. Like evangelism is just an overflow of living the Christian life, right? There's different methods, there's different systems, but above all, we want to be genuine. We want to be loving. Uh, we want to be careful, right? Uh, so a couple resources up here for you. Uh, and I'll just kind of hit kind of the highlights of the direction of where we're going. Give you a couple resources. Um, just give you a little bit of the grace evangelism system that we're going to memorize. Uh, the goal here is to really focus on a life focused on a worshipful, purposeful pursuit of Christ in our everyday life. I'm sorry, that sun is right in your eyes. That's all right. Um, so, I mean, like just living the gospel every day. And to me, that's the part of this class that gets really, really exciting. So the, uh, a couple resources, I'm going to throw th uh, four of them at you here. Two of them are on the, on the board up here. Uh, one of them that I enjoy, anybody ever listen to Alistair Begg? If you enjoy Alistair Begg, he has a series called, series called Frangelism, Friends, Relatives, Associates, and Neighbors. It's a four-message series. Um, I have that downloaded and in a folder at this link, and you can go there, go to frangelism.jasonyounger.com. That'll just pop open my Google Drive, and you can download those four messages there and listen to them. Um, do you listen to, uh, raise your hand if you listen to podcasts? Pretty much everybody? Nice. Okay. So do you listen to Dr. John MacArthur's Grace to You? Right now he has that series on um, just the gospel, discipleship, 
evangelism, um, lordship, right, of Christ. So the sovereignty of God in salvation. So that starts September 11th, 2023. But that's a really great series. If you haven't been listening to the Daily Grace to You radio program right now, really, really good. Go back to September 11th and pick that up. Uh, another one that I would highly recommend with five stars. Anybody listen to the MacArthur Center podcast? Um, Austin Duncan, um, who was here a while back, uh, curates that podcast. And this one is really, really good. So I think this is either the second, I think this is the third season maybe. But episode two, go uh, download the MacArthur Center podcast, episode two, The Gospel According to Jesus. And with a five-star rating, I give that one eight stars. That one's awesome. Then we're going to have some uh, verses that we're going to memorize. And I don't know what your system is for memorizing. Um, Hopefully you are reading your Bibles every day. And as you read your Bibles, um, hopefully you're actively memorizing verses. Verse packs aren't just something for little kids. Like, do you ever find yourself reading and a verse just jumps out to you and you think, oh, if only my family could hear this verse. And, you know, just like you watch a movie and the big line jumps out at the movie, right? And you're like, that's good. That's a good line. That's funny. I got to remember that. We're going to talk about that one at work tomorrow. (laughs) Right? So you remember the big line. And then when you remember the big line, you remember what happens. What's the reaction after the big line? And what was happening leading up to the big line, right? So remembering the big line, you naturally remember the context around the big line. Same way with your memory verses. So as you're reading and a big verse jumps out at you, remember it, but also remember the context around it leading up to it, the buildup and the result. And so make sure that you're, you're memorizing scripture. In fact, maybe even memorize scripture. So, uh, for example, take the Gospel of John. Um, what happens in John chapter 1? What happens in John chapter 2? What happens in John chapter 3? Right? So just take each chapter and what happens. What's the big event in this chapter? So you all know John chapter 3 is Nick at night. Right? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. So you know that John chapter 3 is Nick at night. What's the big verse in John chapter 3? 3.16, right. So you start building the context around John 3.16. And you get to the end and you see John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. So you're thinking, okay, so now, okay, so there's two big verses and you're building context around it. So John chapter 1 is this, 2 is this, 3 is this, 4 is this. So you start building bullet points, right? And you remember, what's the big line in that chapter? And then you start building context around it. So that same kind of process is what we use to remember our, our memorize our outline for grace evangelism. We'll start with a skeleton. We're going to give you a couple verses. Uh, there'll be a couple points, four points, a couple verses to go with each point. So if you look on our 
gospel outline here. And this is the way I describe it. In your mind, right now, you have, this is just the way the brain works. Your brain has like file systems. And your brain remembers what's most important. And typically, in a, say a category in your mind, you can remember three things, basically. So, uh, we're doing a little construction project downstairs. We need a hammer. Nobody at the church has a hammer. So where are you going to go get a hammer? The unfinished, the unfinished part of the oh, you're saying go buy a hammer. Well, there might be one back there. Okay. So that was the first thing you thought of. Didn't find one back there, so we got to go buy one. So now where are you going to go? Dollar General got a cheap hammer. Dollar General, cheap hammer right over there. Go in and look. And, it'll yeah, break, but it's a cheap. It'll get, it'll get the job done. Come to find out, there must be a, const, a, a craft class going on because they're out. So now you're down two. Now where are you going? Home Depot. And then after that, you might think Lowe's, right? That's just how the brain works. Like you have categories. So, so when you ask, ask your brain to recall, where do I get a hammer? And your brain has about three spots. And then after that, it's just kind of. You're pulling up Google, hammers near me, right? Okay, so in your mind, I want you to picture these four doors in your mind, okay? So in your mind, you have these four doors. The first door, above each door, there is a, a sign above each door in your mind. And if you leave here today, you decide you hate the class and you don't ever remember anything else that happened here. Remember this, these four doors, okay? In your mind, there are four doors. The first door is labeled God. And there's a subheading below that that says, created everything, is perfectly holy, and demands perfect holiness. Second door, man. Third door is Jesus. And the last door is faith. And we'll talk about those signs over those four doors. See the bright light behind the four doors? <clears throat> Inside those rooms, like a library, just bookshelves behind those four doors. And on those shelves behind those four doors is everything you know about God. So if we could scan your brain right now and we could go through this doorway in your mind and we could look on the shelves and discover everything you know about God. On a scale of one to 10, how comfortable or uncomfortable does that make you? If we could all see how much you know about God or how much I know about God. I don't, honestly, I wouldn't want you to see because our shelves are embarrassingly bare, right? This first door is so important. Everything you know about God. So here's all I'm asking you to do is to memorize the, the sign above the door and the subheading. 
And in our evangelism, when we're talking to people, we're walking people up to the door and we're introducing them to God and letting them know that he created and owns everything and that he's perfectly holy and that he demands perfect holiness. And that might kind of seem like a lot. It's like, I got to memorize verses for this class. But really, that's just walking our friends and our family and our relatives and our associates and our neighbors and strangers. We're just walking them up to the door and introducing them to God. Our goal is to take them into the room and just show them the majesty of God, the holiness of God. So man, Jesus, faith, same things. So that's what we'll do. So God. You'll have three points. We're going to put a couple verses underneath each point. And it'll look like this. God created and owns everything. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. He's perfectly holy. 1 John 1.5. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Matthew 5.48. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And he requires perfect obedience to his law. James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. If you look in the back of your workbook, you'll find four verse cards. So the four, I think they're kind of a ivory color. So you have four verse cards in the very back and that these are your cards. So the skeleton, the skeleton is the four doorways and the points below it. Then we start packing meat and muscle on there. Those are your verses. The skin is the transition from one door to the next. So God, in light of these verses, since God is perfectly holy and righteous, and he has said, we are to be perfect as he is perfect, we quickly see mankind has a problem. And you proceed to the man card, who has broken God's law, he'll pay the eternal penalty for sin, cannot save himself by good works. And you'll see your verses there on your cards. God's holiness repels man. Man's sin repels a holy God, but God did something amazing. <coughs> We walk them into the door and we introduce them to Christ. And there's your Christ verses. And then the last door, faith, or I believe your cards as sinners, that we must repent of all that dishonors God. We must believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. And will you repent and believe in Christ? So I know that at first glance that looks like a lot, but we're going to take this over eight weeks in small bites and so don't freak out it's not it it'll be fine uh, but one of those resources the that the verses.jasonyounger.com if you're uncomfortable doing it yourself my method for memorizing other than remembering the verse and then building context around it but just for verses itself is just repetition so I record my verses, and then I get in the car, and I play it. And when I get back in the car, I play it. And when I'm taking a shower, I play the file. So all, that verses.jasonyounger.com, that's all your verses in one file. So either put it on your phone, open your voice notes, and record your one verse for this week or your few verses for this week, or put them all on there, whatever your process is. But 
record it and just repeat it and just get it burnt into your mind and uh, repetition is your friend. It's how we learned our ABCs. It's how we memorized our, our verses as kids. And uh, so anyway, I think that will be really good. Um, other than that, you know, kind of the, there's, so it's eight weeks, just kind of give you an idea how it goes. It's, there's just more than we're able to squeeze in. Like there's just not enough time between now and eight o'clock to get it all in. Um, and then over eight weeks. So we have eight lessons in our Grace Evangelism workbook. On top of that, we have our What is the Gospel book. And that is basically a chapter a week. And just being completely honest with you, we haven't gotten to the review of the book yet. But read it on your own. Just like, I don't know what your process is. Everybody's process is different. I think the most important thing going into this is um, strategy. Like, I think what I'm asking you guys is, can I get you to commit to eight weeks of dedicating your life to the Lord? And I'm, I'm not even talking about evangelism right now. I'm just talking about Will you take this next eight weeks and just pursue Christ purposefully and strategically? And I think hopefully our lesson tonight will kind of set the scene for why we want to do that and why we should do that. And so, and then the goal is at some point to practice evangelism a little bit, right? We try to do a little bit of role playing it's really tough to squeeze in, but I mean, I think the biggest uh, disconnect between knowing a system, having a desire in my heart, and actually talking to somebody at Walmart, right? There's a disconnect that the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What I need is a little help. Give me an icebreaker or something, right? You like, you pray, Lord, just give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity, Lord, and then. It kind of presents itself, and you just really don't know what to say, and you just kind of whiff. And it's like, oh, man, like you set that one on a tee for me, and I just didn't even swing the bat. And a lot of that's just because, A, I just don't know how to get into it. I don't know the icebreaker, the opening line or whatever. I just don't know how to start the conversation. Um, and so, you know, hopefully a little practice kind of helps um, helps you through that. Above all, I think it's the heart, though. Like, do you have, maybe raise your hand, do you have a specific person or people in mind that caused you to want to take this class? Like, I don't want to get emotional, but do you have somebody that your heart is breaking for right now that you just, Lord, save them. Save them. I don't even know what to tell them anymore. I don't even know what to say. Maybe if I take this evangelism class, I can say it better or say it right. Or, you know, am I doing something wrong? Am I not saying something? I just got to get 
to where I can share the gospel better. Because maybe if I share the gospel better, they'll believe, right? But who saves? Who is the one that saves? Right? We know that. So we'll work through all of that. First thing I want to do is uh, let's open with prayer. And, um, and then we'll jump into just this first chapter and uh, see how far we get here this evening. Father, we just thank you, first of all, just for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would just fill us with worship and praise and adoration. I pray, Lord, that we would just love you. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a thirst for your righteousness that we so desperately need. Sanctify us, Lord, and above all, pray that you would make our lives just a living gospel. And pray, Lord, that you would really see us through these next eight weeks together as a group. Help us to commit to you, to your word, and to just sharing the good news. Lord, we pray for three people each that we will commit to praying for. And I pray, Lord, that you would be preparing those hearts, even right now as we speak, that, that you would prepare that soil for the seed of the gospel, that you would prepare us to clearly share the gospel, and help us to understand, Lord, that your word, your gospel truth, is a stewardship Help us to carry the baton of truth and run skillfully and carefully because it's your truth, Lord. It is your gospel. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, but help us to be careful not to round the edges off that sharp blade help us to resist the temptation to share an easy believism but help us Lord to call people to come back under submission to you our God our Father who created us who owns us and is so good to us so merciful I pray that we will see your attributes over these next eight weeks and it just causes our heart to soar and that our lives will overflow. Our, our praise for your name will just overflow onto those around us. Give us a heart for the lost and prepare us to be your messengers of the good news. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, in the back, you'll see worksheet one just before your verse cards. And you'll see on there, 
It's going to ask you to identify three unbelievers and commit to praying daily for God to bring them to repentance and to give you opportunities to present the gospel to them. So, don't have to do that now, but be thinking about it. Do you need a book? I have an extra book here. That's right. The, yeah, I'm sorry, they're down in the resource center. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So you'll need yep you'll need a workbook and you'll need the black. What is the gospel book? Yep. Sorry. Um, will you grab two of them, please? So, our class objectives is to establish a biblical foundation for evangelism, to equip you with a clear and understandable gospel presentation, to expose you to a variety of evangelism opportunities. And so, what we're asking from you is to attend each class, to memorize the gospel presentation, read what is the gospel, do a, uh, a chapter each week, and uh, hopefully we can uh, find time to discuss it. Uh, it will work into our discussion, though. Pray daily for three unbelievers, and you'll have four homework assignments in there to get you going. So, I'll turn this off. If you think... Maybe. If you think about the process... And kind of what our part is. Recently, it might have been, you remember at the Shepherds Conference when Dr. John MacArthur was gone, and then he came back for like one session, and I think it was maybe Phil Johnson that sat down and just kind of interviewed him real quick. And they were talking about the gospel. And anyway, Dr. John MacArthur said something that really struck a chord with me that I remembered. And what he said is, what we want to do is to share the gospel. We want people to hear the gospel, right? But we won't, don't just want them to hear it. We want them to understand it. Right? Hear it but present it in a way that they can understand it. Hearing and understanding, and by God's grace, they would believe it. Beliefs become convictions. And our convictions become affections. And that really struck a chord with me. Like a lot of people might think evangelism is really just inviting a friend to church. Like we really put the burden on the church to do all the work. Like we think if I've invited somebody to church, I've done my part. I've done my job. 
And what is the purpose of the church is maybe the first question for us. purpose of the church is where believers come and we worship together corporately. And it's for the feeding and the building up and the equipping of the church. Our job is to take it and to go out and to share it. Share the good news of the gospel so that people will hear it. And we want to present it in a way that they will understand it so that by God's grace they will believe and we want them to believe, and that's where we plug them in. We're getting them in here, and we're feeding them. And they start building a theology, right? Like you'll notice the classes at GBC are so good about just teaching us doctrine and theology. Believe, believe what? Right? So we, we're reading God's Word. We're encouraging people to read God's Word. And we're, we're teaching them and building their theology. And their theology become their convictions. Like, these are the things I stand on. These are the things I believe. And so, you, you know, you'll find young believers or young people sometimes are just, just fireballs, right? Like, when I was first saved, I was just kind of, just kind of an out-of-control <laughs> I don't know. I was something. But like I was just going around just telling everybody like. And so fortunately, I had a good mentor to dial me back a little bit. But these were my convictions. And then over time, as you walk with Christ and you really get to know him and you experience Christ and every time you go through a trial, it cuts another facet into the diamond of his glory. And trial after trial after trial, these experiences take your convictions and they kind of move them to another level. It's not just book knowledge. I believe this is the word of God. This is my conviction that I stand on. It's, it really moves it from the brain to the heart. It becomes, I've seen God do this. In my life I've seen Christ move in this way in my life I know that I can trust him we get in these conversations with people and they say oh how do you know it's just a book it's like I'm telling you I know it's true I've experienced it let me tell you about him your convictions become affections and you love Christ and he says if you obey me, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? And your life becomes a living sacrifice, a living testimony. And that's the real goal. So the, the goal here is not to give you some system. Oh, here's a good example. So he hates it when I talk about him because he's humble. But... Terry Druard's my mentor, and, and he's the one that shared the gospel with me when I was in my 20s, and for six long years, he faithfully taught me and shared the gospel with me until finally, by God's grace, when I was 28, I decided I should probably read that book someday and find out what's in there, and sat down and read it, and by the time I, I hit the end of Romans, I, 
my life was changed and changed dramatically. But, but here's the thing. Over the six years, like he shared the gospel with me and it ricocheted off my forehead like bullets. But he never once approached me with his system of evangelism and tried to blast me with it like a fire hose, right? Have, I don't know if you've seen it. Maybe you've done it. I've done it. Like, okay, I have four doors and two points under each point. I got two verses and I got 15 minutes. I got to get this all out or else you won't be saved. So I got a bam, 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 bam. I got my gospel machine gun loaded and I'm just blowing your head off with these verses. Why won't you believe? Listen to me, listen to me. And you just come off as unhinged. I did anyways. Right, so the way Terry approached it with me was different. His convictions had become his affections. He loved Christ. He loved the Word of God. And that was apparent to me just from working with him and being around him. But here's what I think makes him really, really special that I would like to transfer um, to you. Because there is a depth. Has anybody spent much time with Terry? So he's one of our shepherds here, one of our uh, elders. Terry's depth of the Bible is very, very deep. He has a, a deep understanding of the scriptures. And how did he get that? Is he just spiritually gifted and talented to know and memorize? No. Like he's put in the hard work, right? How do you get strong? You work out. And that if you're dedicated, you work out every day and you don't miss a day. Like you're just disciplined. So first of all, we just have to be disciplined to read our Bibles and to know it, to build depth behind those four doors so that these people that are on your heart that you're thinking of right now, you can love them and you don't have to blow their head off with 15 verses in the next 15 minutes. Instead, you can love them and you can walk them up to that first door about God. And there's a settledness to you because you know the truth. You know the gospel. You know what the Bible says. And instead of you blasting them, always thinking about what is my next point, so that even when they're talking, you're not listening. Like I, you're listening and I'm kind of hearing you, but I'm thinking, what's my next point? What's my next point? What's my next verse? Make sure I remember. I don't want to mess up this next verse. I always mess up the second verse. Let's see. Is it 1 John 1? No, wait. Wait. 2 John. No. Uh, anyways, what? Boom. I got to hit you with another verse. Like you didn't even hear what they said. Just have a deep understanding of God's word so that you can have conversations with people. And it's very natural. It's very real. It's very loving. And you can ask questions. And so you might know we're going to the God door and God created and owns everything. And so when you're standing in line at Walmart and it's even something as little as just, you know, 
There's just something standing in front of you that is just screaming atheist. It's like this person, they're going to hate me. I know they're going to hate me. I feel the hate vibe coming off. And they're standing, they're standing in front of you thinking the same thing. They're like, look what's behind me. I'm telling you, this is a Christian. I'm, I know it. It's a Christian. They're going to, like, there's already, and instead, it comes with a conversation of, hey, I'm Jason. How you guys doing? Having a good day? Good. Do you, you guys go to church anywhere? Uh, no, we don't go to church. I don't believe in God. Hmm, okay. Well, you have any kind of church background? Anybody in your family go to church? Your grandma go to church or anything? Right? You're just, let's just talk about God for a little bit with a settledness because of the depth that's behind your door you're properly equipped to have a conversation with somebody about God. And if I can get nothing else out, maybe I can tell them, well, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1 that God created and owns all things. In the beginning, you know, probably the verse, even, even not even being a Bible reader, you probably know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? He created all things. Psalm 24-1 says the earth is the Lord and all it contains and you just find just these little conversations and just see where the Lord takes it. But don't go blow people's head off with it. Like we're just giving you kind of rails, right? It's just kind of rails to keep you on the path towards the cross and calling people to repentance. So that when somebody wants to talk to you about astrophysics or microbiology or anything, five million different rabbit trails, and you can talk between the rails. You just keep it between. So that's kind of the goal. All right. So we're going to look at four things tonight, the mission, the motivation, the message, and the method. First, the mission. I'll try to point out uh, blanks in your book to fill in. First, the mission. God's ultimate purpose for evangelism is to glorify himself. God's ultimate purpose in everything is to glorify himself. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Isaiah 48, 9 and 11, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath and for my praise, I restrain it from you in order not to cut you off for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act for how can my name be profaned and my glory, I will not give to another. Psalm 106, 7 and 8, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. The psalmist is praising God for the mighty deeds that he performed for the nation Israel. He starts at the very top, speaking about the deliverance of Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea. And God had compassion on Israel. He wanted to see them freed from slavery. Yes, he wanted to judge Egypt for their cruelty. But ultimately, the psalmist says, God is... God-centered. He saved them for the sake of His name. 
Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. So in Ezekiel 36, Israel has sinned against God by refusing to worship God in purity. And so he's about to deliver them into the Babylonian exile. But before he does, he promises that he'll restore them for the sake of his name. B, salvation accomplishes God's mission to bring himself glory. Salvation accomplishes God's mission to bring himself glory. In Isaiah chapter 43, God has already said in verse 7 that he created his people for his glory. But then he says in Isaiah 43 verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. The purpose of salvation is for his sake. 1 John 2.12, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that every aspect of our salvation is to the praise of His glory. Our election by the Father in eternity past, verse 6. Our redemption accomplished by the Son in the fullness of time, verse 12. And our being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14. And then in the next chapter, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. First of all, you know Ephesians 2, right? You got the big passage, right? Everybody has Ephesians 2. 8 through 10, memorized probably right. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, so let's pack a little context around that. You got that verse. Now there's some great stuff here in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 4 through 7 says, But God made us alive together with Christ. And in verse 7, this is right now my favorite verse in the entire Bible. Do you ever want me to kill an hour? Ask me about Ephesians 2, 7. So good. Ephesians 2, 7. So that, in fact, you got your Bibles handy. Let's just flip to it. Um, I'm using the LSB in case yours is a little different. Ephesians 2.1 You were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, in who, um, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us us up with Him, and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, So that... In the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness 
toward us in Christ Jesus. So when you talk about icebreaker lines, Ephesians 2.7 is my icebreaker line for almost everything. People say, well, if God is a good God, why are people so ugly? Ephesians 2.7, that's why. And then you take them to Ephesians 2 and you talk through that. Why did God allow sin? God could have created the world. He did create the world perfect, by the way. Now, he could have. He did. Well, then why did Adam and Eve sin? God created them imperfect. No, he didn't. Ephesians 2, 7. That's why. So that in the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We see all the attributes of God at the cross. God is showing all of his attributes. Ephesians 2, 7, that God is holy, holy, holy. And he does not compromise his holiness. He's also merciful. He's patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering. He's loving. He's gracious. All eternity, we will say, not, well, I'm glad to be saved. But God says that he's merciful and long-suffering. We won't say God says that he's merciful and long-suffering. We will say God is merciful and long-suffering. And let me tell you how I know. He was merciful and long-suffering with me. Ephesians 2.7, everything comes back to Ephesians 2.7. And then it just sets you up to share Ephesians 2.8-10 about the wonderful grace of God. So great icebreaker. That's my personal favorite to get into the, um, the gospel with people. So a lot of us have heard a hundred different versions of a very man-centered version of Christianity. You hear the gospel presented that God is just this lonely old grandfather up in heaven who desperately wants to have a relationship with you and he, he just can't live without you. And he's, done, he's, got, he's got a U-shaped hole in his heart just waiting for you to fill it. Is that not just horrible and blasphemous, right? God can't live without you. So he's done everything he can to be with you. Some of us have heard the gospel presented as if God's main goal was to show us how valuable we are to him. They say things like he gave up what was most precious to him, his son. Why? So that he could have you. Those kinds of things have a thread of truth in them, but they're not the gospel. God does demonstrate his love for us, sending his son. God does desire to have a relationship with us as his creation. God does love us. But what these texts teach us is that God's most ultimate purpose in saving sinners is not to make much of them, but to make much of himself and to bring sinners into the freedom of enjoying making much of him forever. That's maybe a good question to ask yourself. Do I enjoy making much of him? What is the object of your faith? Is he the most lovely, 
the most beautiful, satisfying, thrilling person anyone could ever see and know and enjoy. And because he loves us, because he wants to give us what is lovely and what satisfies our souls, he labors in all that he does to put his glory on display. This means salvation is about making worshipers. And that's your next verse, your next blank in your book. Salvation is about making worshipers. Salvation is God turning idolaters into true worshipers of the one true and living God. God is turning idolaters into true worshipers of the one true and living God. So, C, evangelism exists because worship does not. John 4, 23, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Jesus was not teaching the location of worship. Rather, he's teaching the proper expression of the sinner, which was true worship. And this is what God is after. Jesus says that God seeks those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Evangelism is of utmost necessity wherever there are people who are not true worshipers of God. That's what we're really calling people to. He created and owns everything, including you and me. And we're calling them to come back under submission to our creator who loves us and gave everything for us. Isaiah 49, 6, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So salvation is going to the nations because it's too small a thing for Jesus to be the God of just one nation or just one people. Jesus's worth is too great. God's glory is too precious to be limited to one group of people. It's Got to go everywhere. He is the God of all, the creator of all. He's on a mission to bring himself glory from all the earth, from all the nations. He's worthy to be worshiped by all nations. And since God is not content to receive worship from only one people group, should we be content if God is worshiped by only one person or one people group? Since God is worthy to receive worship from all humanity, How can we be complacent? In his excellent book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper speaks about worship being the goal and the fuel of missions work, the taking of the gospel across the oceans. But his comments are also entirely applicable to evangelism, the taking of the gospel across the street. He says, evangelism is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And evangelism exists... Because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not evangelism. Because God is ultimate, not man. So when we're calling people to church, what are we calling them to? We're not calling them just trying to get them here to put it on BART to spend an hour sharing the gospel. We're calling them to come here with us and to worship our Creator. God's mission in our evangelism is to glorify himself by transforming sinners into true worshipers through the proclamation of the gospel. 
the glory, praise, and the worship of God is the passion of God's own heart. So it must be the fuel of the fire that burns in our bones. Evangelism is fueled by the reality that God is worthy of being worshipped by all creatures and, by, and because God has opened the eyes of our hearts to love and treasure His glory. That is because what we want most deeply from the depths of our souls is for God's name to be honored and His glory to be treasured. We are eager to lay down our lives in sacrificial service to make that happen. Is that true about you? Just a little heart check there. Are you eager to lay down your life? That wasn't a period there. That was just a pregnant pause. Are you eager to lay down your life in sacrificial service to make that happen? That's Romans 12.1. We're called to be a living sacrifice. So you think, how dear is my life to me? Like, do I still have goals for my life? Do I still have just these visions for what I want my life to be? My career, my kids, my family, my travel, just everything. Or is it, Lord, take my life. Man, take my life. Make it yours. Put me into your service. Just use me, Lord. I am so overwhelmingly blessed to have been saved by you because I was hellbound and I was willingly in rebellion against you. My life proved every day. I mean, you just think about what happened. You remember when we were kids in school and they would do these uh, experiments with magnets and you try to push the two strong magnets together and no matter how hard you would push, the magnets wouldn't go together and you could try to push them and they just slip and they just don't go together. That was us. God is holy. He's so holy. He repels sin. No sin can come near him. And he repels anything opposed to his nature. God repels the unholy, which was fine with me because I was unholy and I repelled God. Anything that was holy, I pushed him away. He was pushing me away. We were moving just further and further apart from each other. And the unbeliever dying in his sin gets exactly what he wants, to be as far as possible from the light. He finally gets his wish. And that was me. I was eager to be that guy, repelling God, resisting and pushing away. And you know what God did to me? Like in my rebellion, I, it's like I was swinging at him. I'm fighting, pushing, get away. You ever see a little kid fight against their parent? Like I just, ah, they're just arms and legs kicking and screaming and fighting. Just leave me alone. Get away, get away. And you grab him and you hug him and you just pull him in. And you're like, listen, calm down and listen to me. And the parent loves that kid. And they said, God did that. Like, I don't know about you. Maybe you had a different experience. 
But I fought against God with everything that I had, and He won. He captured my heart, my soul, my mind, everything. He saved me. Like, when I was... When I say that I was a little unhinged, and I was just going a little crazy, running around telling everybody about Christ, I couldn't help it. Like, I escaped a house that was on fire. Here's what the picture was like. I'm in a house that's on fire. And while I'm in this house that's on fire, somebody is knocking at the door saying, Jason, wake up, wake up. You're in danger. Leave me alone. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. And somebody kept pounding on my door for six years because they loved me. Get up. Get up. You're in danger. Leave me alone. I'm happy where I'm at. All the time, Satan is tucking me into bed, singing me a lullaby. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. And grandma's gone, but she's okay. Do you smell the flowers? Do you see the red cardinal out on the fence? That's grandma. She's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. Do you believe in God? You're fine. You're okay. And he's banging on the door. Get up. You're in danger. You're in danger. Until Jesus kicked that door open, walked through the house, grabbed me out of my bed, shook me, and brought me from death to life. Had he not done that, where would I be? Asleep in that bed, in a house, on fire, bound for eternal hell. How dare I withhold any of my life from my Savior? Right? That's all of us. And so we have this in our heart. I hope that fire is still in your bones and you still remember what he did for you. And and that's the fuel. We love people. I don't care who you are. Would you, if you had a nasty neighbor, just a nasty neighbor who doesn't like you, always giving you a hard time, but their house was on fire and they were going to burn alive and die, would you go knock on their door? Because guess what? They're in danger of burning alive for eternity. And how is it that I just can't bring myself to go talk to them and just have a conversation? and be more caring, being willing to be injured, hated, ridiculed. And then I'll go knock on their door and I'll tell them the gospel, but then they hear me out back yelling at my dog, kicking the dog, or yelling at the kids, or I'm at work. Yeah, I don't really kick the dog, just for the record. (laughs) But you're at work and you're talking about the bosses. You're gossiping about other people at work. Or a woman walks through the door and you're like, eh? Eh? Go get Jeff, go get Jeff. Look at this one. Oh, I'm scared. <laughs> How dare the Christian undermine the gospel with an unholy life? We are called to be a living sacrifice, a living gospel. If we love God, we will obey Him. So remember that. The next time sin is stirred up in your heart and you're tempted to sin, 
Don't blame it on the external things that stirred up the sin. Nope, it's the sin that's in you. So when you're tempted to sin this next time, I want you to remember this. Who do I love more? Me and my sin or Christ? And let that be your motivation to not sin and to flee the sin and go find anything else to do. If we love God, we will obey him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The great and first commandment. Love for God expresses itself in obedience and of which evangelism is a part. That's John 14, 15, and 23. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come into him, and we will make our home with him. True biblical love for God will be demonstrated in patterns of obedience to Christ's commands. His command to evangelize could not be any clearer in Scripture. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Love for God expresses itself in love toward others. Why? Because Christ did that. Every believer knows the love of God and has to show the love of God to others. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John 4, also 1 John 4. If we obey Him, we will glorify Him. Those who are redeemed will glorify God as they pursue holiness, proclaim the gospel, and display the person and work of Christ. This fits so well with what Bart's been taking us through in Colossians chapter 3, right? Live it. You have to live it. Like your obedience is the only evidence you even have of your salvation. So what's the difference between you and anybody else in the world that claims not only any any other religion, but I'm talking about among Christians too. Like you will not be a Christian and continue to be worldly. You cannot. That is fruit. Like the natural byproduct of being a Christian is the good fruit that falls off behind you as you walk. I'm not saying we don't sin, right? Of course we sin, but we don't as a pattern of life, sin and sin and sin. What is the, um, what is the response to sin, right? The response to sin is repentance. And when you're at work and you sin and they're waiting for you to sin, Oh, they're waiting for you to sin. Mr. Perfect in his GBC shirt at work. Isn't that nice? That's sweet. Always talking. Just wait. You'll slip. You'll fall. You'll do it. You'll blow it. Right? You'll blow it. And say, you know what? You're right. I will blow it. But when I do, make sure you call me out on it. Because I don't want to blow it. And I'll be the first to apologize when I do. 
Like you have to displaying that, that repentance, the proper response to sin. That is all part of living the gospel. If you love God, you'll desire to obey him. All right, really quick. Three, the message. The God-centered gospel presentation emphasizes God's glory and man's sinfulness. So if your worship is God-centered, your message will be God-centered. The God-centered message proclaims God's holiness. The God-centered message reveals man's sinful condition. The God-centered message declares Christ as Savior and Lord. And the God-centered message calls sinners to repent and believe in Christ. That's the four doors. And that's where we will spend these next seven weeks as we look in there. We'll look at what is a God-centered message about God and His holiness. And in light of all that we know about God, what, as we walk them through the next door, in light of who God is, what does that say about who I am? And in light of who God is and who I am, that shows my desperate need for the righteousness of Christ. And we call people to repent and to believe. So remember, God's chief end in salvation is His own glory. Everything is for Him. We evangelize with a transformed lifestyle and a biblical presentation. Remember this, your life either confirms or undermines the gospel. Your life either confirms or undermines the gospel. Perfect example. I don't know if you... Uh, you ever see, accidentally see GBC people blowing it out in public? Like you're ever at the grocery store, like a couple people behind them, and you see them like lay into a poor cashier or something. You're like, oh man, that's rough. Right? Like people see us, people hear us. Our sin's not hidden. So we have somebody that. We finally, this person, uh, anyway, hasn't been to church his whole life since he was a little kid. And he's got gray hair like me now. And he's finally started coming to GBC. And he saw somebody at GBC. He goes, I didn't know he goes here. I work with him. I've known him forever. Yeah, we'll have to go talk to him later. He goes, he hates the bosses at work. Like he talks about them all the time, hates them. Oh, he is so nasty towards those bosses. He hates, he goes here, right? That's all of us. People are watching. You are a living testimony. You are either confirming or undermining the gospel with your life every day. So that's why I say, please commit to being very purposeful these next eight weeks. And I'll leave you with this. Uh, everybody's had a jar candle in the house, right? And you know, you light the little jar candle and it starts to burn. And as the jar candle burns, the surface turns to liquid. 
And if you just let, let it sit there and burn all day long, that jar candle becomes all liquid, right? And then as soon as you blow it out, the surface glazes over and the jar candle starts to harden again. That's the Christian life. When you open your Bible and you are in God's word, that flame is lit. You spend a little bit of time in God's word, the surface will become liquid and you'll feel, you'll feel that was really good. I needed to hear that today. But if you'll sit and you'll meditate on God's word and dwell on it and read every day, the more you're in God's word, the more that flame stays lit, the more your heart becomes liquid. And when your heart is liquid, that's walking in the spirit. That's when you're walking in the spirit and your life is a living testimony. As soon as you close that Bible though, as soon as you stop thinking about Christ and God's word, the surface of your heart starts to glaze over. And if you'll stay out of God's word long enough, your heart will harden again. And you'll go back to your old sinful worldly ways, undermining the gospel. So stay in God's word. Really commit to these next weeks of really focusing your life on being very purposeful and worshipful. And... Um, See what God does. All right, worksheet number one, fill out your three people you're going to commit to pray for. And this is my favorite part of this class is watching what the Lord does over the eight weeks as we sit and we intentionally pray for very specific people, not Lord, give me, give me an opportunity to share the gospel this week. No, let me talk to so-and-so. You know how my heart has been burning for so-and-so. Please just give me another chance to talk. Just open the door for me to share the gospel. And you'll be surprised what he does. And then be praying for them that they would, their heart would be prepared and they would repent and believe. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. For sending your son to be our righteousness and our atonement because we need both. And help us to love you and love your holiness. I thank that you thank you that you just always keep that bar just out of reach. Holy Spirit, keep us striving for that bar. Always sanctifying us, always making us a little more like Christ. And give us a vision of our home in heaven. That our place is secure there with you. And that we are eager to be with you there. But in the meantime, like Paul to live as Christ, to die as gain. Help us, Lord, to present ourselves, our lives as living sacrifices to you. Use us for your glory. You've been so good to us, so kind to us. Just thank you for this time together. Be with us. Hold us close, Lord, to your word and bring us back safely Sunday so that we may worship you together as an eternal family. All for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, guys.